Support for Comics for Fun and Profit is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate in men's hygiene. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with code C4FAP at manscaped.com. I've been with Manscaped since the 1.0, and now we're on the Lawnmower 4.0. This trimmer is the future of grooming, and I dare say the greatest trimmer ever. The fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is waterproofed and also has an LED spotlight for more precision shaving. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code C4FAP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code C4FAP. That's the letter C, the number 4, F-A-P, at manscaped.com. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Aloha. This is Jason from Hawaii. Welcome to a special edition of the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. In this episode, I will be interviewing Eisner-nominated writer Nate Cosby. He is here to promote his latest Kickstarter, Alter Ego. Now, please note, this is not the Alter Ego magazine published by Tomorrow's Publishing. Um, so Nate's Kickstarter, this is a 100-page original graphic novel that tells an epic superhero story set during the golden age of Hollywood in the 1940s. Now the campaign is going on right now and will end on April 13th. Nate, how are you doing today? I'm very well, I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you, thank you very much for coming on, thank you. Now, Nate, I'm gonna go over a little bit of your history before we start um, jumping into questions and stuff. So, and Nate, feel, feel free to correct me on anything. Now, now okay. listeners, Nate, is a writer and also Nate you um you were an editor at Marvel Comics for about six years correct something like that yeah yeah an intern a little bit before that as well okay now I know and I and I'm trying to I and hopefully I got my information correct I think you were an editor for Marvel from 2005 to about 2011 sounds right are you I'm going to ask are you an editor at Dynamite Comics right now I'm not. I I am a packager uh, for their company, which means my, Linney Incorporated, my company, uh, will take some of their properties, be it Red Sonja, James Bond, uh, John Carter of Mars. Um, I will I will cast and assign all of the projects, oversee everything, show run in a way, uh, and then deliver the files to Dynamite. So I'm not a full time employee, but a lot of the things my production company does works with them oh, okay all right now okay you already touched upon that um and correct me if I'm wrong, you're a founder of the um, is it linney incorporated that is that linney incorporated yeah yeah that's named after boyd linney the uh the main character from cowboy the project i created with uh chris Eliopoulos. Yeah. Oh, okay that's cool okay so now because we're going to cover that so now correct me if i'm wrong i know you you wrote the i think it was a comic book series for image comic called pig in pigs 2000 pigs 2011 mm -hmm. to 2012 and as you mentioned um cowboy with chris elianopolis elianopolis um, oh, sorry and then um mm -hmm. you also um created something called fantastic bandits with mm -hmm. um, 
with your current, with your artist that you're working on this project, um, Jacob um, Edgar, is that correct? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, yeah, that's, that was another Western that uh, he and I did just kind of for fun, it, like in between uh, little, little other jobs that we were doing. We just, we created a, a couple chapters and threw it up, uh, threw it up online and we'll hopefully get back to it some other, someday, just we love Westerns. Ah, okay. And um, Happy Hour with Ron so Salas? Yeah, Ron Salas. Okay. And then also Buddy Cop with Doc Shainer. That was from through Dark Horse. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Buddy Cops. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Buddy Cops. And then, um, and then you had, you correct me if I'm wrong. So you're, one of your last kicks, no, you've done five Kickstarters. Mm -hmm. Or actually, you've done four. Alter Eagle with your fifth Kickstarter. Yep. One of your last Kickstarters that you did was the Effervescence Adventures of Fight Bunny. Mm -hmm. And that was with Jennifer L. Meyer and Ariana Meyer. Okay. Yeah, thank mm -hmm. you. Now, did I miss anything? Uh, uh, no, I mean, that's, that's, that's all correct so far. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if you're asking for every book I've ever worked on, I have, I, that will take quite a while and it'll take some research from me. But yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's a lot of what, I'm, what I've done and am doing, yeah. I'm going to ask, um, is, there, is there anyone specific is there any specific project that you want to mention before I continue? Like you want your listeners to, Hey, check out, you know, please check this out or. Oh, well, I mean, like I, uh, several years ago, I uh, co-wrote and oversaw a graphic novel based on Jim Henson's, the storyteller, which uh, that, right. that meant a lot to me just because I'm such a Henson fan. Um, and I was able to get some, incredible people working on that. Roger Langridge, Jordi Belair, Chris Eliopoulos, Ron Mars, Craig Rousseau, Patrick Scherberger. Um, yeah, it was, that was a, that was a pretty special project that I got to do, but no, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. All right. Now, before we start getting into the nitty, you know, the questions and so forth, you know, mm -hmm. um, I want to give a big shout out to Hannah of Super Fan Promotions. Hannah, thank yeah. you very much for setting up this interview. You know, again, Hannah, thank you very much. I'm going to ask, you know, um, Nate, do you want to add anything to that? Hannah's awesome. I agree. Her and David Hyde, they have, uh, they have been incredible. Uh, they've done incredible work on the, uh, the marketing angle and helping design the campaign for, for Alter Ego. It's, it's, they, they've been doing Herculean work. I would not, I would not have been able to to have the outreach and and the resources without their help. So they they're really appreciated. If anybody's running a campaign, I cannot uh, recommend them enough. Okay, no, thank you. Now I also want to let our listeners know that for Nate, you know some the, some of his background information, I did get some of the information from a podcast that um, Nate was on back in June. Um, actually. September 6th of 2010. And that's probably all in If I said it, it was probably all lies. So <laughs> I'll, I'll try to figure out what I was lying about at the time. All right. The podcast is called um, War, War Rocket Ajax Podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then also to, um, to prepare for this interview, um, um, I, you know, I read the um, article from um, Comics Beat by um, Joel Grunwell. And that mm -hmm. came out on March 15th, um, 2022. And again, that, that article covered um, the Alter Ego Kickstarter campaign. Now, Nate, where can listeners follow you on social media? 
Uh, I'm mainly on Twitter. It's at Nate Cosby. Um, I'm on Instagram occasionally as well, if forced to be. But for the most part, it's just uh, it's just Twitter. I like to. I mostly use Twitter for work. Actually, when I'm looking for our, uh, collaborators, colorists, artists, letterers, writers, that kind of thing. But yeah. Okay. All right. Now, Nate, where did you grow up? I was born in Memphis, Tennessee, and moved shortly thereafter to Columbus, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I grew up in the very deep South, and then uh, went to. Uh, SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design, for oh, college. Man. Yeah. And then uh, got an internship and uh, some TV writing production stuff uh, in New York uh, in my early 20s. And so moved up moved up there, and here I am in Brooklyn. Oh, okay. Um, I'm sorry, off-the-cuff questions. You said that you did some um, um, TV work. Um, was it on any specific show that we've heard of, or...? couple of cop dramas but but which is weird uh but also uh i was i've done a lot of work for the sesame workshop particularly like the uh the reimagining of the electric company um which at the time like lin-manuel miranda was developing that before he was lin-manuel miranda so i think i remember very fondly like sitting in sitting in room i was mainly working on the, some animation stuff but i was watching him and, uh, and several other of um, his collaborators like do freestyle kind of music kind of things. And I'm just sitting there in the room having, and then, and then a few years later, like Hamilton comes out and it's like, I know that guy. Whoa. I know that guy. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Oh, but that's right. Yeah. My research, I forgot to mention that, that you did the, um, that Sesame Street thing. Yeah, I forgot about Yeah, Electric that. Company. My main contribution was the creation of Captain Cluck, uh, which is a superhero, a little girl that could talk to chickens. Mm-hmm. And that was her superpower. Yeah. So uh, my, my main job was to figure out ways to like tell like 45 second stories that that had a beginning, a middle and an end, but also taught some kind of grammar lesson. Mm-hmm. And so most of my nights in my early to mid twenties were like, were basically just like grinding, grinding these scripts down into these like weird diamond shaped things. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, no, less, 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 yeah. less, mm-hmm. less to, to try to, to try to fit everything in here. But it was a, it was a fun problem to have. It, it really helped me, helped me learn economy of language and economy of story. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, what was your first comic? It could be, you know, Sunday comics, Mad Magazines. What was the first comics that you read as a kid? Oh, man. Uh, Probably, I want to say it was like a Superman or a Spider-Man coloring book, but not a coloring book, like one of those oversized child-sized coloring books that like you have to lay on the floor and then sit on and color. I remember doing that a couple times. Um, I'm sure it was a it was either a Superman or Batman comic because I would I was always running around with a uh, with a towel with a clothespin, you know, either being Superman or Batman. My uncle always called me Bats. My granddad always called me Superman. So um, it was one of those. I, I mean, the earliest the earliest recollection I have of really like reading something was probably comic strips. It was probably Peanuts. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I, I love comic strips, you know, it's like, I, I, I tried, I tried a couple times to get into the comic strip business, but it's a, it's a totally different world than, than comic books. But I love, I love comic strips. Mm -hmm. They're so, it's a totally, it's just like the storytelling just baffles me at, at how good some, some creators are at, at telling those, those complete stories in such a small amount of space. Yeah. And then, um, I'm going to ask, um, see actually this is from drew um comics for fun profit um co-host who submitted this question do you remember what your first comic shop was yeah gundog comics and uh gundog comics was it started as a branch in starkville mississippi which is about 30 minutes from where i grew up and then um they had a they chained out and put one in columbus uh near the walmart and and the Kroger, uh, but it did not last very long. Uh, so they just receded and just went back to the one. I don't know if Dundog is still around to this day, but yeah, yeah, that was the few and far between. Not a lot of comic shops in uh, where I grew up in Mississippi, mm -hmm. um, which was always a delight because when we'd go on vacation, yes. if it were a big, moderately to large city, I would always find out where the comic book shop is and beg my parents to let me go and have a special visit and it was just like oh my god it's like it was like kevin from home alone 2 going into fao schwartz every yeah. time like oh <laughs> yeah i'm gonna i'm just this is off the cuff question um mm. do you still have any of your comics that you bought when you were a kid oh you can see them right here that well yeah this is audio only but yeah. you're looking at the zoom like this is literally my entire comic collection right here oh, i'll show god. you that's it Oh, um, speaking of like, boarded? yeah, that's oh, it. I, well, because they've moved around a lot. They've been in, Miss they were in Mississippi and then they went to Colorado for a bit yeah. and then they, they've come here. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, like I, I, I was a pretty, uh, pretty vibrant collector and reader until I was about 13 or 14 when I maybe put comics away for a few years and picked them back up in, uh, in college. But, you know, I would just like keep everything I bought and I was just like everything I can buy, dollar bin stuff, more, 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 more. So I probably had, I don't know, 45, 50 long boxes. But over the years, I've just, I've just kind of sanded that away oh, yeah. into like, into like giving them away mostly to libraries and stuff, which is nice that they take them. But I don't know, like I've, I've gone through it. At, I'm sure, I'm sure plenty of listeners understand, they understand that process of like, Ah, let me go through my collection again and see what I want to keep and what I don't. Yeah. Um, but I, I've I've pretty much got it got it sanded down to just like the ones that mean something to me. You know, yeah. I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a collector. I don't I don't buy a lot of comics, uh -huh. um, especially now. But like sometimes I just want to go back and read one of the runs that I have. You know. Oh, another off the cuff question. Uh, mm -hmm. What is one of your favorite runs in, in your comic collection? Oh, uh, well, I mean, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I think Robin, I think Chuck Dixon's Robin mm -hmm. by Tom Grummet and Michael Ringo and actually Jeff Parker did a couple issues. Um, I think that run, meant, that, that hit me at a really specific time, like when Tim Drake and I were almost like the same age. And I, you know, having a love of Superman and Batman, but like, then like thinking like, I'm sure other people had that idea of like, wow, it's just like, 
I don't want to be Batman. I want to be the guy beside Batman. <laughs> like that's yeah. a little bit smarter that, that it doesn't have quite so many emotional problems. Uh, and isn't so haunted. Um, but that, that run like really, really meant something to me because it was so like, it was so long and it like took me through a certain part of my formative years. Um, and, and then paired that with, with, uh, Dixon's Nightwing. Mm-hmm. That was, that was pretty amazing. Um, also, you know, Brian Michael Bendis's run and Mark Bagley's run on Ultimate Spider-Man is, is pretty incredible. Um, the first, like the first, I think that ran right up until like, it was one of the first things I started reading again when I came back to comics in college and uh-huh. like it, it continued right up until I got the job at Marvel. So it was like, like, Oh, like I'm going like through, it took me through college and then to my internship and then I was hired. So, and then I actually, I've not worked with Brian a lot, but I, I oversaw a custom project that he did. Um, that was, that was really cool. And he's actually the co co uh, collaborator with Jacob on a new dark horse project. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, Ron Mars's green, green lantern run yes. was really special to me. Mm-hmm. Mark Wade and Umberto Ramos on impulse, um, bone. Like, I mean, it, that's its own run in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So. Wow. Those are pretty good runs. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Oh, and Astro city, of course. Yeah. Kurt oh, Busick yeah. and Brit Anderson on, on Astro city through all yeah. the, all the different iterations of Astro city. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, um, so um, how did your journey started working in comics? I know you worked in TV, so how did you get into comics? Uh, well, I I had a I started with a like a, a minor in sequential art at SCAD. At the time, they didn't have a lot of classes, and the classes they did have were mostly art classes. And I cannot draw, which lots of my collaborators will will affirm, uh, but but I knew I wanted to, I knew I wanted to break in and I knew from what I could tell, the only way to really break in, um, as, as, uh, to like to go to the office every day was just to be present, to be there. Mm-hmm. So I, I went as an intern, you know, it's like, I, even though I had a job working in TV, I just like, I, I, you know, if I just show up every day, yes. maybe they'll just, maybe eventually uh-huh. they will, uh, they will notice that I'm doing some okay work. And I started in, in one editor's office, wasn't really given much to do at all. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of sit there and just like go to lunch and mm-hmm. whatever. So I would then like go and, and kind of like hover around other offices and see like, Hey, is there anything you need doing? Can I proofread something for you? Can I run something up to accounting or to, yes. or whatever? Um, and eventually I, I made myself useful and, and got a temporary desk. And then an editor left Marvel and I was a warm body who had a, who had a modicum of an idea of what was going on kind uh-huh. of. And, uh, and so I, you know, they, I got hired and uh, six months later, I actually knew what the hell I was doing, <laughs> but that took six months. You know, oh, it, was, it was a lot of, a lot of fake it till you make it going on <laughs> at that job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, the answer is, is like I just showed up until they hired me. <laughs> now, again, this question was submitted by Drew. What was your first prof- professional comic that you worked on? That you know, you got your name on it and everything. 
your first paid professional? Oh, paid. Uh, well, my first paid one as an editor was Hulk Destruction number three, mm-hmm. uh, written by Peter David. Um, <laughs> number three, it was, you know, it was a, based on a video game, I believe. Oh, okay. uh, and yeah, I just, I just remember like, whoa, the writer of Young Justice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, the comic was fine. But yeah, that, that was my first one. But as an intern, I got a few special thanks. And I, I honestly can't recall if my first credit was either on uh, an issue of Wolverine or the um, Captain America Red, White, and Blue, I think oh. was the name of it, a graphic novel. Yeah. Um, I, I don't remember because I was working on both at the time as an intern. They, mm-hmm. they were, the editors at the time were going to give me a special special thanks Mm -hmm. and so you know i me being uh me being a a kid who didn't know shit about shit i was like oh my entire name please walter nathan cosby jr i'll I'll be austere uh but but it ended up getting misspelled so it's walter nathan crosby jr so my first my first credit in comics was misspelled and my uh and my career's been pretty much like that uh from then on now um i'm joking on this part you okay. know, since you're an editor at Marvel, and you know, since you had your name misspelled, <laughs> hmm. you mm-hmm. know, did you make sure that your writer spelled everything correctly, especially names? <laughs> did, I, did I make sure everybody? Did? <laughs> I mean, you know, as an editor, I, 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 I don't know. If, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you ever edited anything, but it's like uh, editor brain is hard to turn off. Yeah, you know? uh-huh. like I've always, I've always kind of been that way where. I, you go to a restaurant, you notice, you, oh, they missed a comma or they misspelled a, a name uh-huh. or, or something, or they didn't use enough dots to, to take over to the right side with the, yeah. with the dollar amount or stuff like that. So, yes, I, I pour over uh, the credits a lot because mm-hmm. I have an appreciation of making sure to get, especially like working with lots of international people with names I, I've never heard of until I work with them. I want to yeah. be sure that we get everything correctly because we don't want to be incorrect or insensitive yes okay um Mm -hmm. i know that you said you're you know again i'm going back to your first paid professional work was hulk destruction number three Mm -hmm. how excited were you you know to see your name in the book like as an you know as like as spelled correctly you mean well correctly (laughs) correctly and to say hey yeah, I made it. I really made it. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's ter- it's terribly dorky because it's like you, when you work at Marvel, you get comps, right? You get free copies of Marvel comics, and and so like that was fun. Like at the at the end of every week, you go and you get free copies. But I, you know, of course, I was so geeked out about it. I went to a comic shop the week that it went out yes. just to go i didn't buy a copy i went to the rack i opened it up i looked at my name mm-hmm. smiled put it back and walked out it's like okay just make sure it's real yeah oh, but that that's no but it's that's pretty cool it's not dorky that's yeah. awesome that's awesome yeah. oh it's still awesome yeah every time like if i i mean if i go to uh if I go to a, if I'm flying and I go to a, a bookstore in the airport, I'll always go and look at the graphic novel section to see if there just happens to be something I worked on. And if there is, I just, I pull it out. Mm-hmm. I already know it's there, but I pull it out, yeah. I open it up, I look at my name, I put it back. It's like, huh, okay. 
That's yeah. pretty cool. That's yeah. so cool. All right. So, Nate, I'm going to start talking about Alter Ego. So, okay. for our listeners, what is the story about? Well, um, it's about a guy named Ace Adams. And he's a, he's a stuntman in the 1940s in Hollywood. And he made a decision uh, to try to help people. And the way he was, he's going to do that is he's going to be a superhero. And so during the day, he throws on a costume, jumps around and calls himself Whizbang. Kisses babies, shakes hands with the mayor, fights robots, um, does everything that a a superhero would do. Then he goes home, feeds his dogs, and he goes and puts on a different costume. Mm -hmm. And he becomes a vigilante called the Black Dog. Mm -hmm. And he goes right up to the line of what is and is not legal, but Mm -hmm. he, he needs to bust some heads to to fight crime at night. Um, and nobody knows that he's doing this. He's the only person that knows that, that he's doing, he's this one persona at day, and this mm-hmm. other completely different character at night. Um, so we, yeah, as I said, it, it's in 1940s Hollywood. So you get an interesting cast of characters, a lot of weird villains with ornate costumes and interesting, interesting power sets and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it it it's the idea of what if one guy was two two superheroes? What mm-hmm. would that look like? How would he? How would you do that? Yeah, and then um, no, they no like I'm just gonna I, I, like you mentioned like you know um the idea of you know having one guy be two superheroes. Where did where did that idea come from? Was it and like was it like were you watching a TV show, reading something, or? Was this an idea from, you know, when you were a kid or? <clears throat> it's, yeah, I, I don't, there was no like aha moment. It, no. it, it came to me at some point, but I, as I've thought about, I've been asked this question a few times now. And I, you know, I, I remember, I remember thinking of like, on a personal level, like when I would go, <laughs> when I would go at like seven o'clock in the morning to start editing comics and i would leave like i don't know six seven sometimes later at night i would go for a run shower up get some food and then like start writing scripts for tv and it's like i'm living two different lives here (laughs) like i would work until like 5 a.m writing these scripts grab a couple hours of sleep and then i'm back to my day job Mm -hmm. and so I, i i i kept you know, I was experiencing this kind of dual, this dual role for a while. And, and so it kind of made sense. I would never, I would never be a superhero, but like this practicality of this and how would you do that kind mm-hmm. of like, I, I understood it on a, I, I appreciated the idea on a personal level as to the idea of like making it a superhero story. You know, it just never, I, it, it, I guess I always just kind of, question the idea of superheroes because it seemed it it seemed to make so much sense that like when it got difficult to be one superhero why don't you just change and be something else you know it's like it like this idea that like oh superman would never do that or batman would never be able to come out during the day it's like well no he just couldn't wear that during the day (laughs) like just be versatile be malleable like roll be intrepid and roll with what you got to do there's uh really we, we talked about um Chuck Dixon's run on, on Robin and Nightwing, there was this one shot that he did with Scott McDaniel called Nightwing the Target. 
I don't know if you've read this, but basically Dick Grayson got into a situation where Nightwing was framed for murder. Mm-hmm. And so the cops were all looking for Nightwing. Mm-hmm. And he decided for a time that it was too hot for him to be Nightwing. So he became this character called the target. And so he was being a different superhero to clear Nightwing's name. Mm-hmm. And so we talked, Jacob and I talked about that one particular one shot mm-hmm. um, at the time. And I actually went back, it, it's over there. Mm-hmm. And I, I went and re- reread it again, just to think like, Oh, that's, you know, it, it's not the same story that we're trying to tell, but it, it made sense. It's like, yeah. right. It's like, don't go out because they're trying to find you. Yeah. And it's like, like, so I, I took it the same kind of way. It's like, if this guy was being the black dog all the time and yeah. he does something that that's kind of iffy to the cops, he's not going to then go out during the day and continue to do this. He yeah. wants to like, kind of like separate and be able to, to attack different problems, different crimes at different, at different times of day. So I don't know. It did, it, it, it also probably stemmed, I think the idea came from the fact that like when I left Marvel, I just kind of like cut out most superhero stuff out of my diet, my reading and, and work diet. I, I felt a little bit burnt out on superheroes. I still liked them and everything, but it's like, woof, like that was like re- a really intense thousand or so comics all about superheroes. Mm-hmm. Let me go try some other stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I think that absence, like not watching movies, not reading comics about superheroes, like just got my mind worrying again, got me thinking back to when I was a kid and the foundations and fundamentals of what I really liked about superheroes. So that's, and, and, it, and it, it basically boiled down to these people want to help, you know, it's like, yes, they have trauma. Yes, they have other problems. Yes, there's, there's, there's drama and stuff, but it's like, they're going out there to help. Uh-huh. and what is that like if you really wanted to do that and you wanted to help as many people as you could you'd want to stay out there as long as possible yes. <laughs> and and so you'd want to stay out there day and night you'd want to keep your motor going you'd want to sleep as little as possible but that's not um you can't do that <laughs> and, and and we start to see that in the story oh okay all right mm-hmm. now um because the preview page that i saw on the kickstarter campaign page um mm-hmm. You know, um, you know the the setting is in the 1940s, and and so I'm gonna ask. I'm just asking. It's like you know, why why set it in that time period, and why actually why in Hollywood at that time period? It's um, well, it it started because Jacob and I were you know we knew we wanted to work on something together, and we were we were just sort of talking about different things, and I. At, at the time, he was starting to do a lot of like fan drawings of Batman and Superman, and he's done a lot of awesome like one pager comics. And then actually got hired to to draw a Batman story recently, which is mm-hmm. awesome. Um, so I knew that he was sort of gravitating so- towards something with superheroes, and, and I just said, "Okay, well i've I've got I've got this one superhero idea, <laughs> just <laughs> one. If you like it, we'll do it. If you don't like it, we're not going to do it." Mm-hmm. And he liked it. So, so you know, it, it was just a germ of an idea before he got involved. And we really co-created it and built this world together. Um, but the reason it's set in that time is because we started talking about our, um, like, the, the bedrock of our inspirations, our storytelling, our love of, of different kinds of stories across the mediums, comics, 
but also television and movies and and the the fact that these old movies just kept popping up in our in the email list of things that we like mm-hmm. just started like oh my god and it started with singing in the rain mm-hmm. um with you know especially with gene kelly's performance in that in that movie but just like the setting it's just like it just feels so fun and vibrant, mm-hmm. crackling with energy all the time. Mm-hmm. There's something about old movies. Like I just, I burn out the TCM app. I, I, I oh. check it every night just to find new movies. But like there's even, even the most dour kinds of films coming out of Hollywood at the time still had a like, let's put on a show mm-hmm. kind of energy to them. You know, it's like, so my, my favorite movies, most of my favorite movies come from that era. And, um, and so that's that's why we put it there uh, originally. But then once we decided that that setting, it really started to um, make sense with the characterization and development of Ace uh-huh. and the the fundamentals of the reasoning for why he's doing this. Uh-huh. He's not putting on uniforms. He's putting on costumes. You know, oh, he yeah. is a stuntman. He is his whole job is to pretend to do these feats. And mm-hmm. so being a superhero or two is, is just a, pro- a progressive element of, of what he already is. Mm-hmm. There's a really, and, and, you know, I started thinking of, of superheroing as performance, you know, you, you want to help, but to do so you don't become a cop or you don't like, like go, go form an organization. You put on a bright costume yes. and go jumping around that's a performance. You know, mm-hmm. you're trying to be a symbol of something. You're trying to make people believe you are something. And there's this great bit. I don't know if you've read um, Batman and Robin by Grant Morrison and Frank Quiley. There's, but there. <laughs> no, I'm not like second, off and on. Yeah. But yeah, that that's another one of my runs that I love, but like second or third issue, Dick Grayson, you know, that, that, that story's got Dick Grayson as, as Batman at the time Bruce Wayne was dead. Yes, uh, for the fifth or sixth time. But Dick Grayson was like he was he was grousing to Alfred, saying like Ah, nobody respects me. I hate being Batman. Mm-hmm. The cape is too heavy. Commissioner Gordon thinks I'm a kid. Like this sucks. I don't. I can't do this. I'm not this. And Alfred's like, it's it's an act. You know, it's like it's a performance. Mm-hmm. Gotham is a stage. Uh, the like the like the lights are on and yes. like go you know action basically uh-huh. and that i that always kind of stuck with me where it's like that that's great like that is that's it you know uh-huh. it, it it really is that and so a lot of what informs ace it, it is based on that that kind of idea um he is he is acting like two completely different people when he's this you know when he's when he's whiz bang his shoulders are back and his chest is puffed out and he's mm-hmm. he's smiling and he's he's doing yes. all this beautiful gene kelly choreography things jumping around when he's black dog his he's hunched yes limps like yeah. he's an injured beast like he sticks to the shadows and he mm-hmm. growls you know mm-hmm. and 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 then when he goes home as just ace adams he's just a regular guy mm-hmm. <laughs> you know but but even that even even more than that when he then goes out to like a bar or to like be a stuntman and stuff, he's then playing another part. He's being like a cocky kind of like gad about around town. So mm-hmm. he's being all these different things yeah. for different arenas in his life. Mm-hmm. And that just really interested 
me? Like what kind of person, how would you do that? Well, and, and, and I've, I've said, this was also the thing that I write a lot in my notebooks. It's like, when you're spending all your time being all these completely different people, who are you really? Uh Like, when do you start to lose your sense of self because you're working so hard to be all these different kinds of things? So that was an incredibly long answer to the the question. No, but it's really, no, but it's really good because it's like, but I love the origin of the idea of, um, you know, um, of the stories. Like you said, again, it's like, you know, during the day you're, you know, doing TV production stuff night, you're a writer. I mean, it's just a little bit is grounded in reality. It's almost like everyday life with people. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's like, you know, people, they go to, they do their jobs, their careers during the day, night when they, now most of them, when they come home, it's either that they're either um, a spouse or a parent. And then what about the quiet? And then if they have to go to a PTA meeting or if they have to go to, play baseball you know softball you know then they're another they're another person but who are they in the quiet moments yeah yeah that idea of of duality or even i don't know what you know that that idea of of being different things for different situations or to different people um i mean it's a great metaphor for real life as you said uh, but but it it also is going to extend in this story to everybody you know Mm -hmm. there's going to be there's going to be other characters that we're going to see who who are not doing what Ace is doing, but there's also like the public face and the private face. Mm-hmm. Um, there's you know there's I, I I took other inspiration from places like Mad Men who also mm. trod this kind of ground too. You know like Don Draper is he's the ad exec and the 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 guy the womanizer that goes out and does all this stuff, but then he's also a family man. Uh-huh. But then it turns out like he's spoiler. He's, he's actually neither of those. <laughs> like he's, he's actually a guy that took somebody else's persona. So it's like, who, you know, who is this guy? Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm always interested in that kind of thing. And, and again, like putting it in Hollywood, like where the, the main job is to pretend, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's a whole industry built around pretending. Um, that it, it just really, it, it really interested me. The, the fake it till you make it kind of idea is always interesting to me. Now, my next question, and for our listeners, you know, Nate has already seen this question, and I'm going to, um, and, and I'll, um, let me just ask it. So, so Nate, like I said, you know, this is not a grilling question. Now, mm-hmm. the main character, Ace Adams, is an African-American stuntman in the 40s. Now, I'm going to be honest, you know, when I, I'm going to still back, I'm, I'm backing the Kickstarter, but, you know, but my first reaction when I looked at the promo is that the, the first thing, my nitpick mind goes, this doesn't seem historically accurate. May I ask, can you, can you, you know, talk about that or explain a little bit more of, you know, of Ace being an African-American stuntman in the 40s, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, when we when we first started um, kind of breaking the story and creating the characters, you know, Ace was first. And where we started from, as I said before, like singing in the rain was a big touchstone for Jacob and I. And and so the first thinking was like, okay, he's Gene Kelly, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's he's got this 
incredible balletic athleticism to where and like like and you'll see in some of the preview pages where it almost looks like he's fighting but it almost looks like he's dancing mm-hmm. you know he's just he's dancing around this superhero and with a with a big smile on his face and so we wanted that to be a big element but you know while we wanted that physicality i also was was seeking inspiration from actors around that time that had just like a real magnetic presence where mm-hmm. you couldn't take your eyes off them. They just had that, they had that thing, like a Brad Pitt kind of thing, but like an older school kind of kind mm-hmm. of element. And one of my favorite actors in the universe is Sidney Poitier, who, who passed away recently at the mm-hmm. beginning of this year. Um, in the Heat of the Night is a seminal film for me. Growing up in Mississippi, like just just that story and and seeing that seeing a story like that I that just blew my doors off as a kid and that I still watch at least once a year. The way that 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 Mr. Portier is able to like command a room by doing so little is <laughs> amazing to me. Like there's only a handful of ac- other actors I can think of that can actually do that kind of thing. And so I knew that I wanted that. I knew that I wanted that kind of thing in, in, in ACE. And so we, you know, we started compositing the different kinds of elements and Jacob and I ultimately decided to have him be black. Um, now that of course changes the story um, uh-huh. because a, a white stunt man and a black stunt man in 1940s Hollywood are, are going to go on very different paths. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started thinking about, okay, well, how will how would this change our story if this act was actually happening in the 1940s? And it and I went down a few a few different roads to try to figure out, like, okay, what would that you know what would that be? What what would the what would the different hurdles be? The extra layers, and I, I found myself getting pretty far away from like the kind of story. Like I, I pretty far away from a superhero story, to be honest. Like uh-huh. it started getting quite political, mm-hmm. um, a lot about racial politics and things like that. And I, you know, worthwhile trying to do, but but I I didn't want to get so far away from the the, the fundamentals of what we had wanted to do. Yeah. And so I was kind of inspired by places like um, Bridgerton um, and Hollywood, uh, a recent Netflix series. Um, where they, the, these different stories where they take uh, a nugget of historical fact mm-hmm. and, then, and then blow that up into sort of like a historical fiction kind of setting. Yeah. Because I just thought it would be more fun and vibrant to figure out a way to have a, a multicultural, multiracial, multi-ethnic melting pot version of 1940s Hollywood, mm-hmm. rather than trying to hew so hard to historical fact that, you yes. know, that, that people were asking, like people actually were asking when I was early in the, in, in the development process, I'd tell friends about that. It's like, oh, you know, is Humphrey Bogart going to show up? And mm-hmm. uh, it's like, yeah. no, I don't really want, I don't really want Frank Sinatra, you know, rolling in or Dean Martin and things like that. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I kind of want to take, the fundamentals, you know, it's like the trappings of the time, the glamorous movie stars, fast paced film studio system, Mm -hmm. but like diverge from the historical reality to, to create uh, something that like embraced racial and cultural diversity. Mm -hmm. And then like, but not just that, I thought like, well, if we can do that, why don't we go even bigger? Mm -hmm. Like, why don't we have like a Hollywood that's kind of like Disney world where 
where there's entire neighborhoods that have been taken over yeah. by these different by these different genres mm-hmm. and and by different kinds of filmmaking from around the world. So it's like you've got like sci-fi, a sci-fi studio neighborhood. You've got westerns. You've got noir. You've got musicals. You've got Korean a Korean section. You've mm-hmm. got Nigerian cinema over here. You you've you've got uh, Bollywood and mm-hmm. Japanese and just like every single every single kind of thing in this one place yes. and then like that's like like having that is like okay now that's our setting now go tell yeah. some superhero stories yeah. like that just felt like a really fun challenge uh-huh. to uh to try to do so um again a really long-winded way of, of saying it's just like we just wanted to try something different you know we yeah. wanted to try something something new it would have been incredibly easy um to just make this a white guy Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's like and and as a as a white guy that i am it's like i i feel um i felt that that would have been like the easiest kind of laziest track to do but i wanted to try for something bigger i wanted to try for for something that that felt a little more inclusive so mm-hmm. i i hope i hope the results uh bear out nate i'm gonna make an off um is this isn't in the notes or anything but I didn't realize that's right because when your friends go, hey, if you're saying this in the 1940s and, you know, um, Ace is going to be this African-American guy, is Humphrey Bogart going to show up? Is Jerry Lewis going to... And it's like, that's right because if you kind of sort of did it um, in almost a realistic uh, Hollywood, that means, yeah, all big-name stars back then, you would have to have someone show up and then... And, and it'll be unfortunate because then a reader's going to go, that does not look like Humphrey Bogart. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now you're asking Jacob to do likenesses. You're also saying, like, if we're going to follow, like, actual history. And I know, you know, I know a lot about old old school cinema stuff because, like, I'm just, I'm a nut about it. And I listen to podcasts of, like, you, you must remember this and, and things like that. Podcasts that talk about old school Hollywood. But it's like, I, I just didn't want it to feel like we were doing Wikipedia entries. And, like, and also, like, we can we necessarily mention the movies that we love or, or like are we going to get sued for doing that oh, that yeah, kind of thing right. like and so you know again i i i i would think of things like but jacob and i would think of things like um astro city where it's like kurt and brent just like made up a world yeah <laughs> you know it's like and probably yeah. kurt could have gone i've never talked to kurt about this but it's like he probably could have just gone to DC or gone to Marvel and said like, Hey, I got this idea mm-hmm. and I got these characters and like, I'll put it in, in the DC era and like maybe Superman could show up, but he didn't do that. You know, it's yeah. like, he's like, he's going and pushing it over to his own world. Yeah. DC, the new frontier that what Darwin Cook did was like, he had some historical accuracy, you know, yeah. it's like, they're like, you saw, you saw some of like the real presidents, some of the real mm-hmm. things and like a lot of allusions to the Cuban missile crisis and things like that. But also they're superheroes. You know, yeah, it's like that yeah. fundamentally we are telling a fictional story. Yeah. And so, you know, we have rules. We have rules to the world that we're making. But at the same time, we just didn't want it to just feel like a deep dive into historical accuracy. Yeah. So it was just important. Oh, okay. Um, you mentioned Sidney Poitier. Mm. I saw your tweet and read your Substack article about your love for the movie lilies of the field with Sydney. Uh, now if alter ego graphic novel had came out in the 60s 
Would mm-hmm. you have loved to have seen Sidney Poitier play Ace Adams? Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God. Uh, at, at the time, I'm sure it would never have gotten past just like a script stage because we're uh-huh. like superheroes. What, what, what the hell is that? Oh, yep. you mean those, those, yeah. like those crummy Adam West yes. Batman shows? Like, no, we're not doing that. I love or those. Or those 1940s Batman movies where it's like the, the pointed ears are kind of like drooping. <laughs> yeah, it's like, is this a Flash Gordon serial? Like, yeah, this is like pre-Star Wars. So it's like that, that kind of thing is not done. But yes, absolutely. And, and like you look, at, you look at Sidney Poitier's performance in Lilies of the Field, and it is just like, I mean, the, if, it, if any of your readers or listeners sorry, have, have, not, uh, have not seen Lilies of the Field, the, it's the one that Sidney Poitier won the Academy Award for, like very rightly so. They shot that movie in two weeks, mm-hmm. and it is all about him just like building a chapel for, for some German nuns from scratch and like you you kind of watch him do it mm-hmm. he's just like and you just watch this guy and it's just like it's magnetized you cannot stop watching his physicality and how he's doing this thing because like he's he's not happy that he's doing this he's not really getting paid these nuns have no money uh-huh. and they keep talking him into doing this and so it's like his body language is just so he's just like frustrated but he's still doing it because he's so proud and stubborn and and like he wants to keep doing this it's just it, it is a master class in in performance and it's all him it's a 90 minute movie which is how long movies should be in my opinion but, but yeah I, I cannot recommend it enough but yes I I think a lot of I, I'm I'm really deep diving on on all Sidney Poitier stuff to mm-hmm. to get a feel for because I, because in my panel descriptions, I, I try to provide as much like body language stuff as I can. Sometimes I will actually like take pictures of myself doing things yeah. because I'm, I, I don't know if it's just my editing background or just how I like to write, but it's like, I really like when there's a way for the art to convey something rather than saying it, I prefer that. I prefer to say less and let the art and the artists yes. sell that idea. Yes. And so I'm, I'm a big believer in like little movements, little, little things mm-hmm. um, that you can see rather than, than have spoken. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's just, that's why I watch movies a lot of times before I start writing because I want to see how people move across a room because wow. it's so easy. It is so easy as you will see in most modern comics to just set up a scene where people are sitting at a table and they're just talking. Mm-hmm. And that is like, that doesn't happen much in real life. People don't just like sit and talk. They move, you know, as you can see in the Zoom. Like I, I talk with my hands a bunch. Like yeah. I'm doing all this all the time and like mm-hmm. you scratch, you move your hat. Maybe you drink, you're smoking or you're eating, you're doing something like that. So it's like, that's just, that's in, an important aspect of, of storytelling to me oh. and characterization. Okay. So I know you already mentioned Ace has, um, correct me if I'm wrong, two pet dogs, correct? He does. Yes. Okay. So um, now, um, now I'm going to ask you this question, and I can't remember if I got. The, I, I, I. But yeah, let me just ask. So, do you have a dog? I do not. I am uh, an uncle to two Australian shepherds mm-hmm. named Finn and uh, and Honey. What we call her, we call them Finners and Bun. They live in Colorado, and I'm also uh, a care, sometimes caretaker of. Uh, of my neighbor's dog, Chorizo, who we just had over the weekend. But yes, I am, I'm a massive lover of dogs. Uh, okay. All right. And then, um, sorry, off, um, 
actually off the cuff question what kind of dogs um does ace have He's got an English Bulldog and a Great Dane. I cannot reveal their names at this time because okay, it's, right. an, it's an important element to the story. I don't want to give uh, it away. Sorry. You'll have to buy the book to find out. Sorry. All right. <laughs> now, how did you come up with um, Ace's alter ego names, like Whizbang and the Black Dog? How did you come up with those names? Whizbang was easy. Like, Whizbang was really fast once we set it in the era. Mm-hmm. There's always there's always been this like crackerjack firecracker whiz bang uh, just like I love I love that kind of old school fast paced talkiness of that time and just like mm-hmm. whip ah whip crap fast bang on the QT here we go and, mm-hmm. and like whiz bang was just one of those one of those words or or mm-hmm. words with a dash that I always just kind of love and so like we wanted to like. We we came up with the names and the and the the costumes kind of at the same time, just kind of going back at Jacob and I going back and forth, and like we basically kind of wanted him to be dressed like a firecracker. Um, we also wanted his like his costume to be kind of loose, so like you look at him, he's kind of wearing more of like a sweater than yeah. a mm-hmm. than a shirt or something tight. Mm-hmm. His uh, you know that that came from like the Alan Scott Green Lantern costume. Mm-hmm. That yeah, that was a big inspiration. Um, but also just kind of like a circus sort of thing. And what we wanted to do is like, we wanted to make it feel like this was something, these were pieces that maybe Ace found in a studio somewhere, right? Where it's like he, he dipped into a, a costume department when, between takes and stuff and like, ooh, I'll take this and this and this. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, it's this big, bright, vibrant costume, whiz bang. And he's always jumping. He can't fly, he can jump. Uh-huh. But I always got the idea of like looking like a firecracker going up each time. Mm-hmm. And you'll notice in some of the, some of the upcoming pages where it's like, he actually, I'm still playing around with this. We're, we're playing around with this to get it right. But like when he leaps, mm-hmm. we want there to be a whiz sound oh. effect going behind him. Yeah. So it like spells W-H-I-Z-Z-Z-Z-Z-Z-Z-Z. Yeah. So I'm working with Russ and Jacob to still, to still nail that, uh, that element. Um, and then Black Dog, you know, we were, I was thinking like almost like a, a, a campfire story, like a, a story you tell kids uh-huh. to scare them from the dark, you know, uh-huh. like to make them scared of the dark. And so I started looking at like real or not real, but like I started looking like uh, myths and lore and things like that and characters that had not really been uh, turned into, into other heroes. And, and I, I found this, um, it, it's a Britain, a British kind of um, myth that was actually like, it, it, it's kind of the same thing that Hound of the Baskervilles is based on, the Sherlock Holmes story. The idea of this dark dog on the moor, you know, it's like out there and I, I, I want to say Scotland, but it's, it's also been in some other places mm-hmm. um, with these bright glowing red eyes and mm-hmm. you can see his teeth and that kind of thing. And it's just like he's this haunting hound mm-hmm. that is always pursuing, that is always right there looking at you. And mm-hmm. so that's that's where Black Dog came from. And as I said before, earlier, like the idea of him being this this wounded animal. Yes. And actually, like you, maybe you'll be able to tell, but like my my idea for the dialogue is: a, we're gonna you know grit it up, make it scratchy, and look like he's you know like he's going like that. But also have him speak, kind of kind of in riddles but uh-huh. with a british accent so like he's going it's almost going he's almost going to have a lyrical kind of component to the way he speaks uh-huh. except when things go wrong 
in which case he starts to the you know, it's like uh when lest ye come and just ow 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 hey stop it that kind of thing so we want it like because again it is a performance we're not gonna yes. like we don't it's not a comedy but it's gonna be some fun elements of yes. like trying to stay in character basically so yeah that's that's kind of where they can and and black dog is like i should say as i said before he's he's padded and he's limping but also like Oh, sorry. He's hunching and he's limping, but also he's kind of padded yes. because we wanted him to look bigger and mm-hmm. shorter than kind of a Wolverine kind of vibe. Uh, and so different from Wizbang. So like you would never think that like this big, you know, this, yeah. this giant smiling guy would be the same as this hunched mm-hmm. weird dude in the shadows. I just think that was so cool how when you start to describe um, black dog and all of a sudden you kind of did the voice it, it, it's yeah. almost, that, that was so because it's like because i'm sure when you're writing him you're kind of going this is how i wanted to hear to hear him it's got yeah. to be very distinct and whiz bang where whiz bang is probably going you know thank you you know fine citizen thank you citizen yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. very happy to help and then you go like to be honest like my my starting point with black dog's voice was uh you know jason statham but like, but like very yeah. specific, specific guy, Richie, Jason Statham, where he's kind of, he's got a mumbling, he's got a mumbling with dialogue like that. He's boy, you know. and, so, and I've been, we've, I've been rewatching uh, Lord of the Rings and like yes. have, taking some of, like taking some Smeagol Gollum kind of stuff too, <laughs> like that, sort of that. So yeah, it's, it's, I, I, it's ridiculous to watch me, my partner watches me sometimes, uh, or, or catches me sometimes like saying dialogue out loud before yeah. when I write it to see if it sounds right. And I'm doing the voices like, Oh, here we go. All right. Yeah, all right. So but I do that with everything. I'm writing fight bunny as well. And so I have to figure out how to be like a Southern female bunny, uh-huh. which is, <laughs> which is a different kind of performance. Yes. All right. I'm sorry. I'm going to move on. Um, sure. No, I mean, oh, you don't want to talk more about me being a Southern female bunny? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hold that off for another interview. <laughs> sure, yeah. sure. All right. So um, I know you're teaming up again with um, artist um, Jacob Egger. Now, to mm-hmm. our listeners, again, like Nate mentioned that he was an artist on a Batman story. And I think Jacob is also, if I got my information correct, he's drawing Army of Darkness? He drew Army of Darkness. He did a, I edited a book called Death to the Army of Darkness, written by Ryan Parrott, who does Power Rangers books and other things. Um, but he is currently working on an unnamed project with Brian Michael Bendis for, uh, with, with uh, Brian's Jinx Word World deal at uh, Dark Horse. So he's actually doubling up, talking about duality. I guess he's spending, he's got triplets as well. So I don't know when the man sleeps, draws, eats, whatever. Mm-hmm. But like he's drawing that and he's also working on, on alter ego at the same time. Yeah. All right. Uh, now, how did you guys first meet? Or actually, online? I'm sorry? We've never met in person. We, we met online. It was another one of my, uh, like my Twitter. I, every once in a while, I'll go on Twitter and just say like, hey, I'm looking for interior artists. Like mm-hmm. if anybody, anybody's out there, send me a sample, send me your, your links, your portfolio stuff. Um, and he, he responded. So, um, I, I liked his stuff and I, I think the first thing that I assigned him to was a, um, uh, James Bond one shot starring money penny, mm-hmm. uh, written by Jody Hauser. Uh, and then I, I gave him a red Sonia thing written by Mark Russell. And then it just kind of, and then we started, 
we're, we're both SCAT alums, so we we had that kind of touched on together, and we we like each other's sensibilities and want to do some creative, create our own stuff, but also do some for higher stuff. So mm-hmm. it's just been a really great working relationship. It's nice to get a a shorthand. If I'd gone into this kind of project, every project that I write is so like personal to me. Like I really like to have an artist that I I feel a shorthand with. I feel uh-huh. sort of you know it's it's a vulnerable kind of thing to like send them send somebody something you wrote and say is it is this good enough for you to draw? Uh-huh. So it's uh, I feel I feel very safe working with Jacob. Now a couple of things I'm going to mention. Um, this is I haven't I didn't put this in the notes, but um, I love Jacob's art style to the Kickstarter because it, it's a little bit of a it has that Darwin Cook vibe to it. Mm-hmm. The colors are very it's very bright. Even when it's kind of dark, it's it's still vibrant. It's really nice. Yeah. Darwin Darwin Cook is is like kind of like the the biggest artistic inspiration for this book. You know, DC New Frontier is just one of those things that I have, I mean, I've had to buy a second copy of the trade because I read the first one so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like I just I just wore out the spine. Um we we Darwin was just I mean there are artists that are just able to like command their their form and master their their form to the point where they can put their camera anywhere with such confidence mm-hmm. that storytelling their storytelling abilities are limitless mm-hmm. and and so he left such a rich text for us to like take as inspiration um kind of the working idea, the working principle was, look at the DC New Frontier stuff, which is mostly widescreen. You go back and look at, at that, and it's like tons and tons of panels of three widescreen, three widescreen panels, like as big, like Technicolor style yes. uh, stuff. And, and I looked at that, and, and, and Jacob and I looked at that, and it's like, yes. Like, that's what we want, especially during the day when we're telling Whizbang story. It is big panoramic vision kind of stuff and then we look at his catwoman stuff the uh the the run the little run he had with ed brubaker but also the one the the selena's big score one shot that he wrote and drew um where those panels are so cramped you know Uh like they're noir they're noir and there's a lot of heavy blacks for shadow and stuff like that um and so that is for the whiz banks. I mean, the, the black dog stuff. Mm-hmm. Like as we get into night, things get a little more cramped. It gets a little, we, we stop having like blatant focal points. Nothing is really in the center of frame. There's like mm-hmm. glimmers and depth and, and things going like yeah. that. So that was kind of our, that was our artistic approach. That is our, Darwin was our, is kind of always, a, when we were first starting, when I was first starting to write the script, and I was struggling to figure out some of the panel descriptions that I want. I would just take a picture from New Frontier, and it's like it's like that, <laughs> yeah. it's like that, but with our characters, yeah. <laughs> basically. Yeah, but that's a great. I mean, it, that that's you know that that's how a lot of uh, stuff starts. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's the same with making movies or TV, where like you you put in like a uh, a track of music that's that came from somewhere else to uh-huh. give you the vibe of what you want to do. And so we're, you know, we're, we're standing on the shoulders of giants and, yes. and it's, uh, yeah, that's what we're doing. But Jack Kirby was also a humongous artistic influence and things that we, we would go back to. You actually see some uh, Kirby crackle in the first couple of pages. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to, I wanted to shout that out. And, and that was actually done by Kike, our, our colorist. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, and, and it's hard to get quite right. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I knew of Kirby crack, Kirby crackle firsthand because Jeff Loeb, I, I edited Jeff Loeb a few times. He was always a big, a big proponent of adding in Kirby crackle just right. So I knew how to, I knew how to make like, no, the dots are not quite right. Stop mm-hmm. making the dots outline. No dots outlined. They are black. Yeah. They are on top of each other. Yeah. Yes. It is crackling. Yeah. So anyway. The other thing I want to comment on, um, and I don't know if Jacob did it or if you guys decide to put this in together, because I know one of the pages, um, I know, I think Ace had crashed. He's getting up. He looked like he was like, he crashed into a theater marquee sign. Hmm. And, I, and he's standing up out of the rubble and I love on the side, it says, you know, there's, um, I think like the, the movie that's playing is called Fantastic Bandits. Yeah. That's, yeah, so, yeah. Was it you or Jacob or was it both of you guys? No, that was, I, I think I had it on, I might've had it on the marquee. I can't, I honestly can't remember. I'd have to go back. One of us had the idea of, of, uh, of putting that on there. I'll give it to him. I don't, I truly don't remember who came up with it, but yeah, we wanted to shout out our, our previous thing that we've done together. And uh, we also had a couple other things on the marquee that are like allusions to future stories that we have in mind. We, we just kind of wanted to like do a little Easter egg for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I know you already gave a shout out to Kiki or colorist. Are there any Mm -hmm. other members of the team that you want to give a shout out to? Oh, Russ Wooten. Mm -hmm. I mean, just one of the, one of the great letterers of our time, uh, an incredible designer, an incredible artist in his own right. He's, you know, he lettered the walking dead. He letters, uh, uh firepower and pretty much everything, uh, Robert Kirkman does. I believe he, he letters. Um, and then he and I, he and I got to know each other, uh, at Marvel that you know, my favorite thing that he did was Thor, the mighty Avenger, the series I oversaw by uh, Roger Langridge and Chris Somney, mm-hmm. uh, and Matt, Matt Wilson. And uh, he, he just did it. He had like a, um, I was looking for a very specific kind of like John Workman approach uh-huh. to the lettering uh, that, that he, he took as the, as a baseline, but then really um, brought in, brought to life. And so I wanted a similar kind of approach here that like, I, I'm a lettering nerd. I just like, I really like, I like it to be kind of difficult to tell where the lettering begins and the art mm-hmm. begins, that kind of thing. Like I want them to feel of a piece. Mm-hmm. And Russ is one of those uh, letterers who can really do that. Like people like Joe Carmagna and Chris Eliopoulos and John Workman, who are just able to make the lettering feel like it is, it's on, you know, it's with the page. It's not layered on top of the page. Yeah. Nobody's forehead is covered because, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So it's, yeah, Russ, Russ is a genius. Okay. That's pretty cool. Now, um, the Kickstarter has, um, some varying covers. How did you get, um, these artists to do covers? Like now I'm going to try to hopefully I pronounce Wilfredo Torres. Um, he's mm-hmm. the artist that did this he, um, for Superman 78. Mm-hmm. So Hester, of course, Green Lantern fame. Declan Shelby, his, you know, incredible, you know, six, you know, the first six issues of the Moonlight series that came out in mm-hmm. 2016. Um, and then, of course, Chris, as you mentioned, from, Cow, you know, Cowboy and the Franklin Richard books. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to try to pronounce this um, last artist's name for Varian Covers. Um, Souza 
Micah? Sozomeka. Yes. Um, Catwoman. And I love yeah. it. Uh, I'm going to... Now, because I, I, I don't know the, now her, that name, I, I don't know if the, if, if, um, the only thing is, um, um, so the Micah's variant cover, I mean, it's wow. When I beautiful. saw that, it was, yes, it's beautiful. And all I'm going to say is to listeners to go to the Kickstarter website and check out that beautifully stunning cover. So I'm sorry. So I'm going to go back to the question. So, so how did you get some of these artists to do varying covers? I mean, I just asked. <laughs> <laughs> and they said yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, you know, like Chris, Chris was an immediate yes, just because he's one of my best friends and I like to make him do things. Um, Wilfredo, Wilfredo was, he's a, he's a pal and he was, he was nice enough to, to make the time. Phil Hester, you know, like I, he's just one of my, mine and Jacob's favorite artists in the world. And I've been lucky enough to work with him a few times. And I actually was uh, lucky enough to like, it, it's his pencils, but I got Klaus Janssen of, you know, of, of Daredevil fame uh, to, uh, to, to ink him uh, with Chris Sotomayor on, uh, on colors. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. And Jacob, you know, I'm jealous. Jacob's got the original version. Yeah. Uh, they gave they gave Jacob the original the original version yeah so I get to at some point he's I told him like at least give me a picture of the framing of it so I can <laughs> see from afar um, and then Declan you know I worked with Declan I knew Declan back when he was still you know like up and coming before he was you know going to Moon Knight premieres and stuff like that um, so he was he was nice enough to 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 do me a favor and just incredible cover. And then Suzumeka, I knew from, from seeing the first time I saw her a couple uh, Catwoman covers, like, wow. Mm -hmm. Like it's somehow like it, it's a, it's a truly painterly style, but yes. with a, with a, I don't know. Like I'd never seen, I'd never seen a painterly style that seems still kind of open in an animated sort of way. There was a fluidity a fluidity to the movement and, and an open style to it that I, yeah, I'm, I'm blown away by what she did. And when she, when she turned in her, her page, I, I instantly thought like, oh, well, this is like a, this is a magazine cover. Like this yes. is too pretty to be a comic book cover. Yeah. So that I, I inspired by um, actually a Rihanna Vogue cover. I, I asked Russ to place the lettering and do it in a style that kind of felt like a magazine that had some, you know, some like on the QT hush hush sort of LA confidential gossip rag mm -hmm. text all over it to make it, to make it feel, have that vibe. Because um, the vibe I got from it was, it looks like something from, again, from that, you know, the, um, the 1940s era, but still yet have that modern touch to it. Yeah, it was really cool. She she sent like a vision board, a vision board, like a vibe board of what she wanted to like the kind of feel she wanted for the cover before she even turned in the sketch. Like I, I sent her the script, I sent her some of Jacob's art and I sent her the character Baby Grand. It's just Baby Grand is a villain. Um, she's she's a Cuban singer and a, a club owner who also wants to like end up just controlling all of the all the criminal underworld and all of Los Angeles. Yes. And, uh, and so Sozo just like, she, 
she sent all of these different kinds of things like these snatches of fashion from the 20s 30s 40s today and all these different cartoons and movies and things like that and we we describe i kind of described the character as like sort of a cross between like michelle pfeiffer from batman returns and madonna from dick tracy and jessica rabbit from who framed roger rabbit and so like that was the vibe that that we wanted to to have and she just nailed it it was it was just amazing yeah yes okay so sorry nate i'm gonna start slowly wrapping things up um um what are some of your campaign tier rewards yeah, so we've got the uh, we got the alternate covers. Um, you can get all those, and Jacob's cover as well. We're uh-huh. also featuring each of those covers as like virgin prints. So you can even if you want like the original Jacob cover, you can also get one print, all the prints, that kind of thing. Um, you can buy. Uh, we we've got two retailer tiers at a lower okay. price. You know, if any retailers want to get ten copies at a lower price, thirty copies, uh-huh. you'll get that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then there's there's also, you can get, um, Jacob will draw a sketch of either Whizbang or Black Dog in your copy of the book. There's, uh, I think there's maybe six of those left, so there's not many. And then there's a cameo in the book. Like, I'm going to actually give a speaking part to uh, to anybody that wants to, to donate uh, that tier, and they actually... They get to decide whether they're a hero, a villain, or just a civilian. Mm-hmm. But they will actually be like a character. It won't be somebody that's just like off to the side saying, gosh. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Now, yeah. I'm just asking, let's say if someone misses this campaign, um, will there be any chance in the future for a reader to buy this? Like either you know, at a web, on, a web, on a website or at a con or... Yeah, once the campaign ends, we plan on keeping the link open so that you can pre-order basically. So like if you miss it, if you miss it by the 30 within the 30 days, you can still go and and pre-order it. Oh. Um and then, you know, for now we've only got the the self-published version coming, but you know, we'll we'll see what comes in the future as far as publishing publishing elsewhere, but you know, we're we're going to we're going to have plenty of extra uh uh prints, if, oh. you know, for people that want to get it. But no. I would encourage people to get it now. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Just because so we'll know how many to order. Yeah. Okay. So um, now, will we see any more stories about, about Ace Adams in the future? Do you have any stories? We'll see. You know, I, I, did, not, I did not write this or conceive of this thinking in terms of sequels. You know, like, I, I, think, I think I really wanted to throw every idea about it. because This is my first superhero that I've ever written. Maybe my only superhero that I plan on writing. Okay. Um, so I really just wanted to, like, throw everything that I feel and want to see or, or what I would do with a superhero story into this one. Um, and I know, you know, I know where the story's going, but there's a couple of different factors to see what, what might happen by the very last page. Mm-hmm. And if it does, you know, if it does well enough and, and, and there's an audience for it, you know, I'm willing to open up my notebook and look at a, a blank page and try mm-hmm. to come up with something. So, um, but we're coming up, we're also coming up with a lot of characters in this world, you know, where there's some that could have their own little individual stories mm-hmm. that may pop up elsewhere as well. That's pretty cool. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any of your friends' Kickstarters you want to promote? Right. So there's a, uh, there's a new Kickstarter coming out based on the Carmen opera. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, 
and it's it's going to be it's going to be done by uh, opera singer and director Alex Schrader with art by P. Craig Russell uh, and Anike with uh, with a guy I've worked with a lot a long time Hasanats may know how um, on lettering so that's going to be coming out soon and I just I I think that's amazing the idea of taking a, an opera or a play and converting yes. it to a, a graphic novel is just a really cool idea to me. I, and, and let's see, I'm going to, um, let's see, I'm slowly wrapping things up. What is the most fun or exciting thing you love working in comics? I just love the collaboration. Like it, it's just really cool to whether it's an idea that I had or it's an idea that someone brings to me and we work on it together and then see it through, you know, like I, writing is really hard for me because it's lonely. <laughs> it's just a very, I spend all my time, most of my time editing, um, which is, you know, collaboration with other people, throwing ideas, then throwing them back, showing me things, go back and forth. But when I'm writing on the page, it's just like, it's just me. Mm-hmm. And then I give it to other people and they give me, give me ideas, but it's just like getting it, getting that, pardon my French, getting that shitty first, first draft down is really difficult for me because I'm just not used to it. So I just get excited by the idea of, building a team or being mm-hmm. a part of a, a team and, mm-hmm. and being able to see a project through. It's, mm-hmm. it's just really cool. Okay. I'm going to ask you, what is your favorite convention moment, whether it's either as a fan or a creator? I punched Umberto Ramos in the face one time. Okay. Uh, <laughs> 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 it, uh, it was just pretend. It was in, uh, I think it was, yeah, it was a San Francisco con, I believe. I, I know Umberto now, like we were, we're, we're buds. Like, but like at the time, at the time we were just like palling around and stuff. And I, I, I don't know if like somebody wanted to take a picture of us for a news article or something, but just like they he wanted to do something where we were like, like, holding each other or something just like being buds but instead we decided to just like i like just like cock back and you just like good so i think i think it might have run in bleeding cool or something or it's like may cause the attacks on berto ramos and it's just like <laughs> and so that was like i did get some frantic calls from a couple of people at the time it's like i heard you beat the shit out of umberto ramos like you can't do that what do you bust his eye and he can't draw anymore did you break his hands like no he didn't actually do that <laughs> uh, yeah yeah that's what i recall all right um what is your next convention or um store signing appearance oh i don't have any oh, okay. editors editors right. usually do not have any signing, oh. signing experience that's not really a thing uh we, you know like maybe we may be taking alter ego on the road we'll see i don't have anything planned at the moment so mm-hmm. uh yeah yep okay nothing at the moment all right. I look forward to it, though. I look forward to, to the next convention I go to. Hopefully New York. I don't know if they're, I guess they're doing it this year ah. at the Javits Center. All right. Have you and your family ever been to Hawaii? No. Well, my mother went, uh, I, think as, I think it was her, um, like her graduation, high school graduation trip. She went to Hawaii and, and said it was great. And I have never been, but my partner and I really want to go. It, it's on our it's on our bucket list. Okay, all right. Now, closing question: Any closing words to our listeners? Well, if you made it this far, thanks. 
<laughs> and I hope you, uh, I hope you go to Kickstarter and check out Alter Ego. We, uh, you know, it, it, it's a real labor of love for, for me, Jacob, Pika, and, and Ross. So uh, if you want to, you know, if you want a fun, ridiculous, but kind of thoughtful 100-page uh, graphic novel, I, I, I hope you try it out. Written, written about superheroes by a guy that doesn't read many superheroes at the moment. <laughs> but but uh, give it a shot. I promise we're going to. Oh, and if you like musicals and old movies, I think you'll really like this comic. Okay. All right. So, Nate, I want to wish you all the success with um, the Alter Eagle Kickstarter. Mahalo. Mm -hmm. thank, thank you very Thank you in Hawaii. Thank you very much for your time and giving me the opportunity to interview you. Thank you very much. Aloha. And then um, I also want to thank Hannah of Superfan Promotions for helping setting up this interview. Now, if you are a new comic book reader or a lifelong comic book reader, please check out the Alter Eagle Kickstarter. Again, it's a 100-page original graphic novel. The campaign ends on April 13th. Um, and then I just want to thank Drew. Um, Drew, the co-host of Comics for Fun and Profit. Drew, thank you very much for putting this in, um, episode together. Thank you for all your hard work behind the scenes. Um, and if you are a new listener to the podcast, please check out new episodes of Comics for Fun and Profit that comes out every Saturday. And I want to thank you, the listeners. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening to this episode. Until next time, guys. Aloha. Aloha. <laughs>